Tim and Brian. Hello and welcome to Super 2, the Providence Journal's Red Sox podcast. I'm Brian McPherson, joined as always by Tim Britton. How are you, Tim? You know, Brian, on, on Saturday night, it was, it was nice. I was out on the town having dinner. Uh, Charlestown is a wonderful, I was going to say part of Boston. I'm not sure if Charleston is part of Boston, technically, if it's one of those Brookline things. But I was in Charleston, which is an area of Massachusetts that is closely proximate to Boston, if not a part of Boston. Uh, so I did not see the game uh, against the Angels. Uh, and then when I got home uh, and into Sunday, I saw that there was a little bit of a hubbub about David Price because there's always a little bit of a hubbub about David Price. Yeah, and I, I think I wonder if there's going to be more of a hubbub. That's what, let's, let's start off with that um, because it seems like David Price, who pitched six pretty good, like not quite David Price-like, but you'll take it sort of innings um, in a game that the Red Sox lost, but it clearly wasn't his fault. Um, then some news comes out about him on Sunday morning that he had a cracked fingernail, and you know the, the Twitter smart Alex came out in force on Sunday, and I do wonder if, if this is going to be ripe for Boston Sports Talk Radio. Um, baseball players are not as tough as hockey players talk, and it just it seems interesting that given all that David Price has has gone through and has the sort of controversy that he's dealt with and his backlash um, to that controversy, the fact that this became an issue at all, like David Price pitched six innings and threw 105 pitches, and I guess I sort of want to trace the, um, the evolution of how this came because it didn't just kind of come out. The team didn't issue a press release that he had a cracked fingernail. He didn't even disclose he had a cracked fingernail. John Farrell, it took several tries to disclose he had a cracked fingernail, like seemed like he did want to cover for him a little bit and kind of see if this if this was avoidable because it does seem like the sort of thing that I don't know if Farrell would have covered for it more with other players if um, if Farrell was trying to cover for it and then Price basically forced his hands you know it just it's it seems like an unforced error in terms of getting this out there in the public sphere um, given the backlash that inevitably is going to come with it and then Price of course just getting that much more upset about the backlash um, given that he already is not thrilled with the media. So so Price pitches his six innings, um, 104 pitches, and had that conversation with Carl Willis that was that was caught by the cameras. He had summoned Carl Willis down the tunnel, and that was caught on the, the Fox cameras. And so John Farrell was asked about that. He was asked, is everything okay? He says, yeah, everything's okay. And somebody asked if, if Price was upset to come out of the game or if, you know, how how Price looked at coming out of the game there, and John Farrell started talking about how, you know, he's at 104 pitches, um, he's not going to go to 115, 120, this, you know, six starts after coming back after the elbow, you know, he wanted to stay in, but he understood, he had a good start, all that stuff. So it seems like John Farrell kind of puts it to bet, and in terms of protecting players, and we remember the Ken Rosenthal report about, you know, there were players that didn't think John Farrell stuck up for them enough, like, if there's a medical issue with David Price, John Farrell's not talking about it there, he's, he's, basically saying he came out because he, he was at almost 105 pitches and he's coming back from an elbow thing and he'd done his job and that was enough. And then Price was asked about that session with Carl Willis and he's very cryptic about it. He says there's a lot of stuff going on right now. You don't want to linger into the next starter two to three weeks from now. So that's why we did what we did. It has nothing to do with my elbow or anything like that. You get past one thing and there's another. So that's what it is. And so he's saying it's not his elbow, but it's something. Like we don't know if that something is I mean, he's, he alludes to a health thing. Like, that's what it seems to say is that there's he doesn't want something to keep lingering. So that that's saying that there's a thing going on there. It's not just a disagreement over coming out after 105 pitches, but he doesn't say what it is. So John Farrell's asked about that the next day, um, and it's at that point that John Farrell discloses that David Price had, quote, a little bit of a fingernail issue that he was starting to feel, um, a crack nail in that middle finger, not the, not the blister, not the same finger as the blister, but a crack fingernail. So... That's when that news comes out, and that suddenly opens up David Price to, like I said, you know, these accusations that, oh, look, you know, here's David Price, can't pitch with a cracked fingernail. And it just, I don't know, what do you make of that? What do you make of how that happened? Because it does seem like it's just, it's an unnecessary, it's unnecessary ammunition for David Price critics, and thus becomes an unnecessary reason for David Price to get upset about the David Price critics. Like, I, I don't think it's a big issue like like it's that that fans will criti- you know will play the whole they're not as tough as hockey players card which bruin was it who played like 45 seconds with a broken leg in the playoffs 6 years ago that fans still bring up Did yeah i don't remember Campbell? it must have yeah gregor campbell i was there for that one but i don't remember that one 
<laughs> I mean, and he played because he, he literally like he couldn't get off the ice. <laughs> That's why, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, that you know, like he had to stay on the ice for a little bit. And and Price, uh, in terms of like, you know, pitching in seventh inning with a crack like in a regular season game, there is no point to him doing that. Um, it, it was just, it was strange to me that Price mentioned things so cryptically when they were so, uh, like, benign, that this wasn't anything serious, uh, and it, the way he talked made it sound like there was something more sinister going on than just a cracked fingernail, which, like, look, a cracked fingernail and blisters, they seem like such uh, little things for a pitcher, but they can be really, uh, they can linger for a while. I mean, just look at what, what's happened with Rich Hill uh, in L.A., and I remember... Uh, actually with Hill last year thinking that, man, how can a blister be this problematic for a pitcher? Uh, and then Rich Hill actually showed me a picture of what his blister looked like when he first had it, uh, and it was, it was nasty. It was, it was not something I wanted to see again. Uh, so you can understand, I, I think, the if, if you're in the game of baseball, you can understand how that could affect a pitcher. Uh, especially, you know, I, I don't think, like, before you see Price summon Carl Willis in the dugout. There's nothing strange about him not pitching the seventh inning of that game. Uh, so I, it just was a little strange to me that Price said things so cryptically when he could have just said, yeah, like there's a little bit of uh, an issue with my fingernail and I, I figured it was best to to deal with it now instead of letting it fester over the course of a couple weeks. Or even just to say like, yeah, I didn't want to come out, but they told me, you know, that's manager John's decision. You know, and that's and they go from there, and that's why, I guess that's part of the reason I bring this up at all, because if it was anybody else, I don't necessarily know that it would be an issue at all, but because it seems like Price and Farrell aren't on the same page, and and the way that Price talks about manager John makes it feel like there's a, it just feels like sort of a little bit snarky in terms of the way he talks about Farrell, so it, it seems like they're not on the same page, and it seemed like Farrell gave him an out, just to kind of say like, yeah, 105 pitches, I took him out. And Price could have left it completely alone. Like, yeah, if he wants to bring up the fingernail, bring up the fingernail. If not, he could just say, like, yeah, I'm a competitor. I don't want to come out of the game. They told me I was out of the game. You know, we talked about it. We're good. You know, I'll start again in five days. And I don't know. And he didn't He didn't choose to do that either. So at which point then John Farrell discloses the reason because Price didn't say it. But you're right that it would have been fair. And I guess there's some ways that you're never going to get around this because, yeah, you see Gregory Campbell skating on a, a broken leg and fans want baseball players to be that tough. Like... I mean, even if it's, even if he can pitch with a cracked fingernail, I mean, part of the problem with pitching is that the margin for error is so fine that if you have just that little bit less spin on your curveball, if you just have a little bit less feel for your for your two seamer and it, you know tails back over the plate instead of staying on the outside corner or inside corner or wherever, like that's you know those two or three inches that can come from just you know not perfectly sound you know, fingernail or a blister on your hand or whatever, like that, that undermines a pitcher's outing. And that's, you know, it's not a matter of like, can you do it or not? It's, can you do it effectively or not? And that's, that's why they don't want this to linger. Cause it's not a matter of toughing it out. It's a matter of being as good as you can be. And like you said, pitching through anything at this stage of the season doesn't make much sense. So yes, he could have said it and you still would have kind of gotten the, the cynical comments, but it just seems like they didn't, I don't know, they didn't need to say anything. And now there's a chance this just becomes another thing about David Price in Boston. Well, what do you, I think you described uh, Price's performance as not quite David Price-like, but you'll take it, uh, which seems like a pretty good summation of his first six starts this season. Uh, what do you make of where he is as a pitcher now, and like, like what are your expectations for him for the rest of the season? I mean, yeah, it's certainly encouraging. And, you know, John Farrell talked about the power, and honestly, that should have been the story coming out of it, is that he was blowing fastballs by people in a way that we haven't seen for a lot of his tenure in Boston. I mean, we saw it quite a bit in the middle of last season. We hadn't really seen it so far this season. He didn't, the only walk he issued may or may not have been a strategic walk because it was with one out and runner on third and it was a four pitch walk. And he said, you know, tough at bat, the guy took some pitches, but it certainly seemed like the sort of walk that could have been to set up an ending, ending double play. And for a guy who had walked 11 hitters in his previous 16 innings, like that was, that was encouraging. I mean, he looked... He looked like David Price. Like he walked, he struck out five, walked one in six innings, gave up a couple of runs, one of which was unearned, um, you know, thanks to a throwing error by Xander Bogarts. Like he, for just the second time in six starts, the other one being in Baltimore, like he pitched like David Price, and, and that's encouraging. You want to see more of it, and you know he the, he'll have a chance to continue to pitch like it as long as he's not undermined by that fingernail. Like this is what you want to see, and I guess the only reason you kind of hold back is a it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't 
a level of dominance that you've pictured with David Price in the past, like you've seen with Chris Sale this year. You know, it's 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 good, but not great. Um, but at this point, I think given given the health of his elbow or the uncertainty about that, you'll take good, but not great, especially if there's some great mixed in there. And if he can keep trending in that direction, you know, it would be trending toward great. But even even this, if if you're getting six innings, two runs. Um, from David Price with with some something better sprinkled in there every so often, you know, you'll given what this season could have been for him, you'll certainly take that. The, the Red Sox have lost now consecutive series. We're recording this on Monday morning, by the way. Uh, consecutive series to the Royals and Angels, uh, which uh, would have been uh, more palatable in the 2014 season uh, when those two teams met in a division series. Both of them are right around 500 at this point, uh, kind of on the fringe of the. AL wildcard competition because every team in the American League is at least on the fringe of the AL wildcard competition. Uh, but, the, but Boston's still in first place. Uh, how, how do you feel about how they're playing right now? I mean, you saw them in Houston uh, last weekend when they took two of three from the best team in the American League before this. Uh, what do you make of, of how they're playing right now? Yeah, it still feels like there's room for improvement, which is good. I mean, in, it's hard to be too concerned about where they are because they're in first place, tied for first place, I think. Um, and clearly they're not clicking on all cylinders. Clearly there's some gaping holes. I mean, the fact that they turned to Doug Fister, even though Doug Fister pitched pretty well, I mean, as well as you, the, sort of the same thing, like pitched as well as you could have expected Doug Fister to pitch um, on Sunday. There's there's room for improvement. The fact that Devin Marrero is still at third base uh, full-time, the fact that there's some health issues with Pedroia and you know, the uncertainty and the fact that you still don't really know who your eighth inning reliever is because Matt Barnes hasn't been great and Joe Kelly can't pitch on back-to-back days. You know, there's there's room for improvement, clearly, and yet this is still a first-place team. So, you know, in 2014-2015, the Red Sox had room for improvement and the American League East was kind of unsettled, but the Red Sox were not in a good position. They were, it was, the Red Sox were in third or fourth place and, you know, needed a winning streak to get to first place. Um, and you saw some flaws and you thought, hey, this winning streak could happen and it just never happened. Whereas now the status quo is that the Red Sox are in first place and in pretty good position for the playoffs. And you can see a scenario where they add a third baseman and all of a sudden they're off to the races. So, you know, as as much as, of course, our job is to be a little, I don't know, you, you look at the areas for improvement more than you look at the areas to celebrate uh, most of the time, you know, just as I'm sure... Dave Dombrowski does. He's not sitting there just marveling at how good Mookie Betts is. He's thinking about how to make this team better. Um, but they're in a good position. I think there's no question they're in a good position. We've talked about that, how they should. They're in a position where they should make the playoffs now. Um, could be a pretty compelling pennant race with the Yankees down the stretch, division race. Um, but it's, it's um, yeah, they're in a good spot as the All-Star break approaches. Yeah, I like the idea of Dave Dombrowski just sitting in the suite during a game being like, wow, Mookie Betts is really good. I like this guy. <laughs> Do you think he did that in the second half? Like he must have done the second half of 2015 after he took over. There must have been just some parts of him as he's getting to know the Red Sox. He's like, I'd heard this guy's good, but this guy's really good. Like even David Ortiz, who he'd seen for years and years and years, must have been like, man, I get to watch this guy every day. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be players that that jump out at you the more you see them like that. Uh, I mean, I, I remember Shane Victorino was always that kind of guy who. You know, you thought he was a pretty nice player, and obviously 2013 was one of the best seasons of his career, but you just kind of appreciate a guy like that the more you see him on an everyday basis. And that's particularly the way he plays defense, kind of strikes me like Victorino, uh, that you see the little things he does even, you know. uh, what I forget what game it was where they they talked a lot about how Betts cut a ball off uh, in right center field uh, that kind of, oh, against the Phillies, that prevented uh, the go-ahead run from scoring in extra innings uh, and how important little plays like that are, and that's reminiscent. Uh, a Victorino to me. Uh, with, with the Red Sox, the way they're playing, it just seems like they're uh, a hot streak away. Like, they haven't had that. I mean, what's their longest winning streak of the season? Six they had uh, around the time they played the Mariners. Um, so it, it seems like they're they're due for one, for like a two-week stretch where they go something like 12-2 and two or 11-3 and because they it feels like they have the talent to do that. It's basically been uh, the pitching staff that's held them back a little bit. They haven't had a long run of consistent starts. Uh, you look at that six-game winning streak was the last was the really I think the only time this season they had uh, five straight quality starts from their starters and they won those games. Uh, so it seemed uh, it seemed like a correlation. I don't know how to make uh, correlation an adjective and pronounce it properly on a podcast. Um, and and they're still at I mean this is lower than it was. They're still at sixty-five percent 
to go to make the playoffs according to baseball prospectus um 40 to win the division so they've lost a little bit of ground lately as they've played around 500 the last couple of weeks but you're right like a good stretch where they win 10 out of 12 which especially if they get a little more thump at third base you could certainly see happening or if if someone like hanley ramirez gets hot the way he got hot in the second half last year like he could carry them for a little while and then they kind of put this thing to bed and maybe they don't win the division like that's sort of that's going to be the big question in the second half whether they can beat out the yankees or not and avoid that wild card game but you know it this is it's very different from a couple of the past years where they're really looking for answers in the middle of the season now it's more about just kind of fine-tuning things so um we have we have a um i guess a game that we've been talking about playing off air we've been talking about doing this on the podcast for a little while and there's a reason to do this now. Um, the game we will play is basically how will their Red Sox tenure end? And it's not meant to be you know, negative necessarily. It's just it's an interesting thing to see the arc of some of these careers and how, how things wrap up. Basically, how will these guys depart the Red Sox? And the reason we're going to play this right now is because I actually have some breaking news, and we don't often break news about ourselves on this podcast, but um, after the All-Star break, I will not be covering the Red Sox for the Providence Journal anymore. I will not be covering baseball anymore. I've taken a job in, I guess, what you'd call the private sector, in a way, um, corporate communications job. For you know, a variety of reasons, this is me voluntarily walking away, but in terms of the the lifestyle of traveling and working nights and weekends on the beat obviously i've been incredibly fortunate to get to cover baseball as a profession for as long as i have incredibly fortunate to to work with tim and all the great people of the providence journal but the right time for my family to do something that is a little bit more um reliable and predictable and stable and all those things so so that's happening i'm very grateful for everyone who's participated and listened along in this podcast and read articles and all those things um feedback on twitter all that's been great so that's hap- that's what's happening here um i guess there will we'll figure out what's going to happen with the podcast going forward um that'll sort of be on tim and if if we're able to have anybody else along with that um that'll kind of be those announcements will come in the future but along those same lines let's talk about how some of these career arcs may play out because it's you never really know there's some of these guys like Dustin Bedroy, I think you can pretty much assume is going to retire with the Red Sox. You know, the Red Sox had their their crossroads with him when they extended him. They weren't able to keep John Lester around for the rest of his career, but they got that extension done with Dustin Bedroy. He'll be around for the rest of his career the way that David Ortiz retired with the Red Sox. But it seems like there are some guys who whose Red Sox careers could go a lot of different ways. Um, so I'll, I'll start and throw one at you. And we'll see what you think. Maybe I'll start easy, and we could go on to the more complicated ones. We've talked a lot about Pablo Sandoval. Um, how does how does his 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 contract goes through the twenty nineteen season with an option for twenty twenty? How does his Red Sox career come to an end? Is it his contract expires? He walks away. He retires with the Red Sox. He is traded, or is he designated for assignment or released or some variation thereof? Well, first off, to say that Super One is like a way worse name for a podcast because uh, it, it doesn't have the baseball connotation that Super Two does, and it seems like way more arrogant for me to call a podcast <laughs> that just has me Super One. Uh, so, uh, so thanks for selling out to the corporate sector, you shill. But also, thank you for giving me Sandoval. That was the e- that is the easier one, easiest of, of these probably. Um, and I will we'll, we have more podcasts after this, right? We'll have at least another one uh, around the All Star break. Yeah. Um, this isn't the last episode of Super Two. Uh, the the last episode will of course be a celebration of all our greatest hits, which will basically just it'll be just a bunch of like Matt Bogdanow songs, <laughs> memorializing the different phases of Super Two. Yes. Um, so with Sandoval, uh, I mean, I think. I, I certainly don't think he's going to play out his 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 current contract with the Red Sox. Uh, it seems at this point in time that a trade even is unlikely this season, and that the likeliest course of action uh, is a, a designation for assignment this season. I wonder if there's any way that they could reach. Uh, I, I should actually look into more so the like the settlement that the a team like the Mets reached with Jason Bay to buy him out of the remainder of his contract, 
I think that was only a one-year $16 million was left on that when that, that happened. Uh, so uh, if the Red Sox could save some money in that sense, but I think that even that would be a surprise. So I think the, the working, uh, I'm not going to surprise anyone. Working theory has been that he, Sandoval would be uh, DFA'd slash released at some point uh, this summer, and uh, the more the, the longer we get into the summer, the the more that seems likely. Hard to disagree with you there. Uh, should, I'll try to stay relatively easy or easier for you, cause shorter term, I should say, uh, with Hanley Ramirez, whose contract goes through next season with a vesting option. For 2019, if he reaches, I believe it's 1,100 plate appearances. Uh, <coughs> I just had this up. Uh, sorry, 1,050 plate appearances uh, between this season and next season, and passes a club physical. Uh, he gets that $22 million vesting option for 2019. Uh, Ramirez obviously not having the kind of season he would like to have. This is when he turned it on last year and really came on strong for the final three months of the year, especially the last six weeks basically uh, and carried the offense for stretches uh, he's not dealing with he wasn't dealing with the shoulder issues that he is now uh, he was playing the field then uh, so there are several differences between this season and last season uh, how do you think Ramirez's time with the Red Sox comes to an end I think there are several ways it could go and an eventual DFA um, especially next season is not out of the question but I think the likelier scenario is still that he plays out his contract the option the Red Sox find a way or he just ends up on the DL at some point um, to not get to 1,050 plate appearances and he walks away after next season after that contract expires. I mean, there's there's too much upside with that bat um, for the Red Sox to be too eager to just let him go, um, especially given what we've seen from him when he does get hot. Obviously, the fact that he doesn't have a defensive position has been a frustrating thing for the Red Sox, has been a difficult thing for the Red Sox, and it makes his position on the roster a little less tenable than it was before just because it really would be nice if if they could get that roster spot back, if they feel good about Sam Travis and Mitch Moreland kind of sharing time at first base and DH and then working other guys through DH as well, that would that would be better for the Red Sox. But if, if Hanley Ramirez can hit it all like he has in the past, if he can get healthy, maybe a DL stint helps him, they'd certainly go that route before they let him go. And because if there were two and a half years left, I'd be a little more skeptical that he's going to finish out that contract. Um, but with a year and a half to go at this point, given their need for offense, it seems like he's going to get enough run um, to be able to finish that out. And then, you know, I wouldn't imagine they would be interested in bringing him back after that. Do you think, um, do you, do you think he retires after the end of, of 2018? I think he'd be 35 going into the 2019 season. Or do you think he looks for one last deal, uh, like a year or two, small, small money or smaller money, uh, to try to be a DH somewhere? And do you think like, he would get that opportunity based off how he played? I mean, so the question is kind of, does he play well enough to get that opportunity? Because I think, you know, if he if he's a, if he's a guy who's kind of slugging 450 um, with, with upside for more, I think there's a team that would take a shot on him. The question is whether he'd want to do that. I don't know. I, I mean, I think most of these guys play until they can't. And I think that he'll probably play until he can't. Um, so I would think probably, yeah, the Red Sox, this is not his last contract. Um, but that would, you know, if, if he gets to the point where the Red Sox are letting him go, then it might well be his last contract. Um, but if he plays to the point that he plays out his contract with the Red Sox, I would think that he probably ends up with another one. Um, let's see. Let's go with Mitch Moreland. That's sort of a... It's a medium-term one. He's only on a one-year deal. The Red Sox have a few ways they could go with him. Um... How does how does Mitch Moreland part ways with the Red Sox whenever that is the case? Ooh, see, I didn't even have him on my list. That's a good one. Uh, I think I think we'll talk throughout the second half of the season and into the early offseason about uh, the the likelihood of coming of bringing Mitch Moreland back uh, in the same sense, you know, that they brought Napoli back after 2013, uh, even though they had wanted a longer term arrangement even before that. Uh, but I think in the end that either the Red Sox will deem, I, I, know, I think if Moreland has the kind of season, if he continues on the track that he's having now, he has this kind of season for a full season, uh, that's the kind of year that would make the Red Sox want to bring him back, but it's also the kind of year that would make him want more than just another one-year deal. Uh, and I, I don't know that Boston would want to bring him back for anything longer 
uh, than one year, considering what they have coming up in in a, in Travis at first base, um, and in in Devers at third base. With you know the still the possibility uh, that that Devers fits longer term at first base. I don't think they're planning in that sense, but uh, it's something you have to to at least consider on some level. Uh, so uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's back for a year next year. But I, I think uh, if if he get if he's playing well enough for the Red Sox want to do that. Uh, he'll probably have a two-year offer out there from someone. So I, I would say that this is probably his only year in Boston, although I, I say that with uh, not very much confidence. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think there will certainly be interest in bringing him back. He has fit nicely. Um, he's he's done everything they could have hoped. The, the transition to Fenway Park has been really good for him, both the Green Monster and the fact that he has enough power that um, the deep right field hasn't hurt him. You know, if if Devers can stick at third base, that helps him, and maybe the Red Sox will be kind of learning about that. Do you think is Moreland worth qualifying? That would be an interesting one. I've always, I guess, probably not, given where the Red Sox are. Like in years past, when they weren't quite so close to the luxury tax threshold, it sort of made sense. I remember we talked about sort of the Red Sox being aggressive with the qualifying offer. Um, you know, paying big money for short-term commitments rather than having to kind of go that you know forty million over three years with these sorts of guys but given where they are even the one-term contract might be difficult because it would you know paying whatever it's going to be 19 million dollars for mitch moreland obviously it's a huge jump over what they're paying now even if he might actually be worth it um that probably won't fit in the budget in terms of staying anywhere near the luxury tax threshold they may not be able to anyway stay under it next year but but that would be a big that would be a big hit especially if they're already over it they're kind of they're paying that that premium so that's probably not something they'd be willing to do. Yeah, and it, uh, I mean, they're probably going to go over it next year, right? Do we, is this our shared belief? Because nothing big is really coming off the the payroll. You know, Chris Young and Mitch Moreland are the biggest, and the, that's six and a half for Young and five and a half for Moreland, uh, of what's coming off the payroll for next year. Uh, and then you've got the arbitration raises for, for Bogarts and Bradley, and, and Mookie Betts goes into arbitration. Uh, so it, you know, you can talk about trying to extend those guys, but even that, they'll, they'll count uh, for a fair amount more against your uh, your luxury tax with the average annual value. So it seems like it would be extremely difficult for them to stay under, which makes it slightly likelier that they would give a qualifying offer because they're not that concerned about every dollar. But, yeah, you're right that it, if it's whatever the qualifying offer is going to be, uh, which is, uh, significant, you know, $17, 18000000 million, something like that, uh, did you say 19? You might have said 19 million. <laughs> uh, you're, then you're adding on to w- w- with the tax. So yeah, I, I, I think it's a conversation you can have, but they, they probably lean against uh, doing that. Um, so I will go now with, uh, well, well, I just mentioned him. Let, let's bring up one of the younger players uh, in Mookie Betts because there was the story that uh, he had turned down kind of extension talks in the off season. I remember the Alex Spears story from spring training where uh, one of the interesting things to me, at least, was Betts mentioning that kind of all of the off-field sponsorships that he was getting uh, made it uh, made his life a little bit more financially secure in a way that you know maybe a, a long-term extension was uh, less important to him because he did have some financial security, didn't need to lock himself into something long-term uh, at that point. Uh, how do you think you know Betts isn't a free agent uh, for a while? Uh, it's not until I have to do the math in my head here. Uh, not until after the 2020 season. Uh, how do you think, do you think they come to terms with Mookie Betts on an extension at some point? Do you think he hits the open market and they try very hard to re-sign him? Uh, how do you think that turns out? I think Betts eventually signs, and I think Betts becomes their guy. I mean, some of this is may eventually be an either-or proposition, um, certainly with Xander Bogarts, if, if both of those guys are really going to get paid, and if the Red Sox, you know, look at Mookie Betts as one of the top three or four players in the game, which seems like he's he's on that trajectory, if not there already, and they make that commitment to say Dustin Pedroia was our was our cornerstone guy um, from you know 2008, 2007, 2008 until 2015, and then Mookie Betts has kind of picked up that mantle. That doesn't necessarily. I mean, the the question is, how do they part ways? Like, could they eventually part ways after, after whatever free agent extension comes up? Like, if he signs through age thirty five and then walks away, then that's certainly possible. I think he's the likeliest of the group because they have the money, and even though these restrictions are in place in terms of the luxury tax, and other teams will be able to basically pay pay bets less because they they may not have to pay the penalty. 
I think the Red Sox will prioritize Mookie Betts over Xander Bogarts and Jackie Bradley Jr. just because he's the best player, and they have the they have the resources to do it. And they, it seems I would think they'll make that happen. And you know that doesn't have to happen now. It doesn't even have to happen before he hits the open market. I mean, it it probably would be better if it happened before he hits the open market, but it doesn't have to happen even up until that season. Like you remember, the Nationals extended Steven Strasburg. That was in the season, right? Yeah, before that, he was a free agent. That was about May of last year, maybe even June. So, like, you know, that that can happen. I think, you know, maybe the best case scenario is that they do it in spring training um, the season before he becomes a free agent. Obviously, the fan base will be pulling its hair out, um, worrying whether Mookie Betts is going to walk away, and they will have already had to make a decision on Xander Bogarts at that point. But I think it's likely that he signs, and he will. that will be the largest contract in, in team history. And... And then from there, who knows? Like, there's so many different ways his career could go because he could get the, you know, it depends on how the team is, too. Like, John Lester never would have been traded. John Lackey never would have been traded if the team wasn't bad that year. You know, they both may have left as free agents at that point, maybe not. But it, it depends on the team trajectory, too. It seems like the team should still be in pretty good shape. I mean, it's the Red Sox, and there's no reason to believe they should go south, though, of course, you know, 2014. When Lester was traded, you didn't expect them to go south either. So I'm going to say Mookie Betts sticks around indefinitely. And, you know, of all the young guys on this team, he's, to me, the best bet to to be a career Red Sox just because they have the money to keep him. You know, this is not like Machado in Baltimore where it seems like there are people who are resigned to leave him leaving because there are other teams with deeper pockets. Like, no team has pockets that are deep enough to really, really outbid the Red Sox on Mookie Betts if they make him a priority, and there's no reason why they wouldn't make him a priority given that he's he's the best player they have. Do you think he's, out of the group of, of Betts, Bogarts, and Bradley, do you think Mookie is the likeliest to sign an extension or just the likeliest to stay with the Red Sox for a long time? I, don't, I mean, it's hard to know. Like, it's hard to know what these guys are thinking because there's a lot of factors that go into the extensions. But I just think that the biggest factor is money, and that comes down to the Red Sox and who they're who they're going to prioritize. And they're not going to prioritize Bradley over Betts for an extension. I mean, we could talk about Bradley too. I I wonder if Bradley's the sort of guy that eventually gets traded as he gets closer. Um, if especially if they're not playing particularly well, that he would be a, he would be a valuable trade chip. Maybe he's a guy who ends up walking away like Jack uh, Jacoby Ellsbury did. Um, but. I think they're not going to prioritize Bradley in it. So it really comes down to Betts or Bogarts, and especially when Betts is the MVP caliber guy and Bogarts is, is a tier below that. I think it's the Red Sox just at some point probably make Betts an offer that he, that he can't refuse. So I'll go to you. Maybe I'll go to Bradley. Let's let's say Bradley. So I guess I already maybe it's not fair that I already threw my Bradley theory out there, but with Jackie Bradley, who's a young cornerstone player on this team, you know, all, all-star last year, kind of right on that the cusp of all-star ability year in, year out, you would think. Um, streaky player. He's got – he was ARB eligible this year for the first time, I think, so he's got a couple – he was Super 2 this year, wasn't he? Yes, he was uh, the namesake of the podcast. Uh, so he's got three years left. Where do things go with Jackie Bradley for you? Do you think Jackie Bradley Jr. should replace you as my co-host because he's a Super 2? It's because him, him and Sandy Leone are both. So – so we should just have them do a podcast and, and run that? We, we definitely should have him on at some point just for that reason. Um, I, I just want to go back to the, the Bogarts-Bets thing. Uh, I do wonder if, if Bogart, Bogarts has seemed to be more open to an extension. At least, I mean, it's, it's not really something I've talked in depth with either guy about, but it seems to me from the outside that, that Bogarts seems a little bit more open to an extension. So I wonder if you know there's a point, uh, whether it's this upcoming offseason or the offseason uh, after that, where they, they talk, you know, Bogarts is up uh, a year before Betts, uh, that they talk more seriously about an extension with him before they figure something out with Betts uh, long term. Going back to Bradley, um, I'm trying to remember your exact wording so that I can repeat it. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy who seems like he would be a trade ship at some point, um, like Jacoby Ellsbury, or, or walk away like Ellsbury. You know, his, his uh, free agency comes up uh, at the end of 2020, which is uh, the same time as bets. So I, I think looking at that, that it would probably be difficult for them to keep both. Uh, so I think probably you're looking maybe after the 2019 season, which itself seems like it could be kind of a reset for the Red Sox because that's when 
Uh, I believe Chris Sale comes off. Oh, sorry, Sale comes off after 2018, or no, he's got the 19 option also. Uh, so Sale comes off. You got to make a, a Sale decision after 2019. Uh, Porcello comes off after 2019. Uh, you'll be done with Sandoval's contract after 2019. Uh, who knows what's going on with David Price at that point? Uh, with his opt-out, maybe we get to him a little later. Uh, he's one of the more complicated ones. Um, so I, I think that that 2019 into 2020 offseason is maybe a, a period in time where they they look to to move Bradley uh, and maybe try to get either younger or get a, a pitcher back to replace a Sale or Porcello, uh, depending on what they decide with those guys. So um, yeah, I, I don't think he's a guy who gets another contract with the Red Sox. Uh, it, it would surprise me if they went in that direction. Do you think it matters that it's Dombrowski? I mean, do you think it makes it easier for Dombrowski to walk away from some of these guys than it would have been Ben Charrington, Theo Epstein, because that was the regime that brought them in? Uh, you know, I'd have to look at, at what he did in Detroit. Well, I guess Detroit, he kind of yeah, he jettisoned everyone because the team wasn't any good. Um, I don't know that it matters. You know, maybe he doesn't there, – there's not quite as uh, an invest, the investment in Bradley that there was from the previous regime. Um, but I think by the time they're making that decision, you know, Dombrowski will have been here for uh, five years after by, by the end of the 2019 season uh, or – just you know, four and a half years. So I, I think there will still, you know, there'll be enough information, enough uh, investment in the, the player and the person to that. It, I don't think it makes a big difference. So let, let's go right to uh, price because that's maybe the most complex of these decisions uh, for both the player uh, and the team coming up. You know, we talked about the way he's pitched. He's a year and a half into uh, his seven-year deal, but halfway to his opt-out uh, at the end of the 2018 season, he's had the health scare, but appeared to get over it. Uh, for the most part, but hasn't quite pitched the way you would like. Uh, certainly not pitched up to the level of, of elite ace the way they signed the, the, that he signed as with the Red Sox this season. Um, do you? Th so uh, I've been surprised by the number of people I've talked to, uh, just kind of preliminarily about this. And you know, we talked to John Shambi about it last week about whether Price opts out, uh, and the most people have have said that it's hard to imagine him opting out at this point. And I guess that is true with the way he's pitched. Uh, to this point, and when you consider the free agent class that's going to exist at the end of the 2018 season, but there there are also the external factors of, of his happiness in Boston, and when he gets asked about whether he's happy in Boston, he says that he enjoys his teammates, uh, which is kind of, it seems like a deflection, uh, as it were. So how do you think David Price's Red Sox tenure ends? I think he opts out, and it, it, you're right, it is, it is challenging because I mean, not just the health scare, it almost would be more cut and dried if he'd had surgery this year and would have a chance to pitch next year and show himself to be healthy. I mean, the Masahiro Tanaka issue, you know, shows that guys can continue to pitch despite elbow, elbow scares, but, you know, it also feels like a ticking time bomb. But assuming he pitches through the next year and a half, and obviously we cannot assume that at all, and if he misses next year with surgery, this all goes out the window. But to me, he'll have four years and 127 million left on that contract i think and that's pocket change for an ace like it really is with these teams and you know it'll be a couple of more years from now and you know it's going to be a free agent bonanza year so maybe that will change the calculus a little bit because some teams that might have bid on him are going to be saving up their 400 million dollars for bryce harper instead but i mean several years ago homer bailey got what six and 115 from cincinnati like, the idea that Price couldn't do better, even if he's going to be 33 at the time, like, the idea that Price couldn't get more than $127 million in total money if he hits the open market at that point seems hard to believe if he's pitching anywhere near like himself. Um, so I think, does Kershaw have an opt-out that year as well? He's one of the guys that could be on the market, right? I think so, yeah. But it seems like that's one where the Dodgers, you would think, would just make that a priority. So maybe you take the Dodgers out um, in terms of the bidding for for price but some of these teams like you know maybe the cubs maybe the white Sox, maybe the cardinals you know, these sort of mid-america teams that price would rather pitch for anyway um are able to kind of open the bank and you know even if it's less average annual value but he's able to get you know six for 150 at that point instead of four for 127 you know that's what he'd probably rather do especially if he gets him out of boston so i'm i'm gonna say that he still ends up opting out i think the odds are still just everybody opts out like that's the way it goes is the only guys who don't opt out are the ones who agree to extensions and to tack on more money i don't think the red sox are going to do that with price and when that doesn't happen you know it seems like these guys opt out yeah i think it'll be interesting to see 
uh, what happens with there, there are a couple opt-outs this year to watch with Justin Upton in Detroit and I think more more pressingly to price like Johnny Cueto in San Francisco had a really good first year with the Giants and has had a, a suspect second one so far uh, and Masahiro Tanaka with the Yankees who looked like a sure bet to opt out coming into the season uh, before having kind of a, a nightmarish start to the season uh, I'm really intrigued to see what happens with Tanaka if he pitches well for the final three months uh, if that's a situation where they kind of write off the first two and a half months as uh, a bad aberrational stretch uh, and then he still opts out um, what what ERA do you think Price needs to have at the end of his, his three seasons in Boston? Currently, his ERA through 41 starts with the Red Sox is 4.09. Uh, that's still that's an ERA plus of 110. Uh, his career ERA is 3.25. ERA plus of 123. Uh, what ERA do you think Price needs to have as a Red Sox before opting out? How 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 high can it be where you think he, he'd still opt out? And, and let's say as a healthy uh, a pitcher who makes basically all of his starts between now and the end of next season. Yeah, let's... 4.25, that's may... Like, I think it can be higher than it is now, but not too much higher. I mean, you look at... Jeff Samarja got $90 million from the Giants um, after, as a 31-year-old, having put up an ERA of close to 5. And he didn't have the track record that Price has. Like, he's always been talented, but he didn't have nearly the track record that Price had. Now, he's younger. He was younger. Um, that mattered. But I, I don't know. I think I think Price, given the amount of money in the game, I think Price can get $150 million of ZRA's sub four and a half, honestly. Especially because somebody's going to talk themselves into the fact that Boston wasn't a great fit, and he'll be much better if he can be himself in a, in a less intense market. You know, now, there are teams... You know, I'd be interested to see how aggressive the Cardinals would be with him once he's 33 if they have to give him a long-term deal at that point, if they felt more comfortable giving him a lot of money when he was 30. And you know, the Cardinals obviously have been an impressively financially responsible team over the years, so maybe they wouldn't do that. But you know, there are teams that might want to you know, put themselves on the map a little bit and kind of have that frontline pitcher. You know, maybe some team like the Marlins, if they get sold and they want a, a pitcher to go with Giancarlo Stanton to kind of be the face of that franchise, you could see that. You know, someone like that giving him a lot of money. So I think as long as he's not terrible, I think as long as he's good, and that's sort of that, yeah, 105, 110 ERA plus, I think I think the opt-out happens. If he's if he's sub-100 ERA plus, that's when you start to worry and teams start to worry if, if there's a deeper problem with the elbow. I mean, that's, that would, that's what that would signal. It's that he's going downhill fast because there's an elbow issue and, and teams would be wary of that. Yeah, I think if he has a year in 2018... Uh, that's that's similar to what he had in 2016. But maybe you know, if he if he does that 2016 season next year, uh, I think he's, he's put himself in really good shape to opt out. As long as you're pitching a lot uh, and providing a lot of value, uh, even if the ERA isn't as sparkling as as uh, he grew accustomed to earlier in his career. So I'm going to pivot from big money to less money, but this is kind of where some of these get a little interesting. I'm going to throw Sandy Leone at you. And Sandy Leone, like you said, is a Super 2, so he's got three more years. Um, we'll never get super expensive in arbitration, and we don't know what's going to happen with Blake Swihart in terms of his position, in terms of his production, and the Red Sox are always going to want to keep as many catchers as they can. Sandy Leone, does he play out his contract? Is he eventually traded, or is he does he end up getting designated if his production diminishes to that extent? Yeah, I mean, this, this is really kind of a, a question about Swihart, isn't it? Um, uh, because if Swihart is what you think he can still be, uh, then you're going to want him and Vasquez on your Major League roster uh, by the start of next season. I'm trying to think of what, Le what a, an arbitration bump for Leon would be like next year, because he's $1.3 million this year. Uh, so maybe it gets up to two, two and a half next year, uh, which is certainly affordable for the Red Sox. But maybe you say, you look at Leon and say, okay, it's a going to be like a 650 OPS or something from your backup catcher who handles the game well, does, does these things well, but you've got a better defensive catcher uh, in Christian Vasquez, uh, who's having a, a nicer offensive season this year as well, uh, who will come cheaper, uh, and you've got a guy with, with a higher upside uh, in the minor leagues. I think it, it, it depends on how they feel about Swihart's uh, defense behind the plate, uh, which we've talked about now for two years, uh, whether they think he's ready enough to be uh, a dependable guy to you know, they've, they've gone, kind of gone with the 60-40 split at that position uh, during John Farrell's tenure for the most part. Uh, and if Swihart is ready for that 40% uh, going into next year, 
e- even if he's not, you can kind of find this seems mean to say, but you can kind of find Sandy Leones around the same way that the Red Sox found Sandy Leone uh, late in spring training from the, the Nationals. Uh, and certainly, you know, obviously they, they did that without uh, the expectation that he'd have the second half of the year offensively he did last year. But it's you can kind of find solid defensive catchers uh, who can be a backup, give you a little bit of pop with the bat, and not make a lot of money. Uh, so it, it, I will go with uh, that, that Sandy Leone is not part of the organization. Uh, at the start of next season, whether it's uh, via a non-tender or a small trade. Yeah, I could certainly see, I guess I would go with the trade option. Like you saw, you know, the Padres traded Ryan Hannigan for Will Middlebrooks a couple of years ago to try and see if Middlebrooks had something left in the tank. I could certainly see that kind of trade if the Red Sox feel good about Swihart, because you're right that you can find these guys, but, you know, Leon's especially good enough defensively that it seems like somebody would be somebody would give up something. Um, you know, trading for a second-round draft pick, right? Oh, I, I didn't hear you at the end of that. I said you could trade him for a second-round draft pick, right? <laughs> oh, if only, Brian, if only. <laughs> I'm trying to think if I've got anyone else left for you. Um, you, you mentioned Pedroia. Uh, how do you think... Uh, like, I, I'm... I think we both agree that he's going to play out his contract with the Red Sox, clearly. Uh, he's a guy who doesn't, you know, his, con- his how much money he makes starts going down after the 2018 season. It peaks next year. Next year's the year he makes $16 million, Then it goes down to 15 13 and 12 the final three years. Uh, he's still producing uh, surplus value on the contract with the way he's playing second base uh, for Boston. Uh, how do you think those final years play out? Do you think it's... Uh, an Ortiz situation where he's as good as he's ever been the final couple of years. Do you think it's uh, a Jeter situation where it's he's good until maybe the last year or so, uh, and then it becomes kind of awkward that final season? Uh, do you think it's uh, some other situation where he's hurt for an extended period of time uh, and it, it's kind of sad and depressing? I mean, I think I think it may get a little jittery, and I think he's been such a good defender that I think. And because he's he's a team first guy, he's not he's not a guy who's going to insist on hitting leadoff or second for his entire career. Or be offended if he's not. I think he'll be able to put a good face on that, especially if he's a manager that he sees eye to eye with. And I think by the end of that contract, you know, by the time he's an older guy, if he's not producing, he'll understand if he's hitting eighth and playing second base, and you know, have having an extended DL stint every year I could see that happening and I don't think he's going to be hobbling around and if he does maybe he hangs it up like I mean don't forget David Ortiz left money on the table when he retired like the, his contract was not up he he could have come back with the Red Sox with that vesting option um, and he instead decided to retire I could see Pedroia doing that if he feels like he can't play at his level anymore because I mean that's one of the hardest things for someone as intensely competitive as Pedroia is to not be able to do what he once did to not play at that level and you know he's not going to do that on a whim he's not going to do that impulsively but you could see after a year that he misses significant time and he doesn't feel like that range is there defensively and doesn't feel like he's helping you know, that he could he could take that route too and just retire early re- retire before that contract expires i could see that as a scenario um but i think he'll he'll play until he's not tenable um and the red sox are hopeful that'll be through the end of the contract and um if not you know, I think I think he's the sort of guy who would decide. All right, that's enough for me. You know, this 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 team is better off with somebody else at second base, and I'm not going to force them to do anything um, and make it awkward. I think I think Pedroia got to see Jeter, and I think he probably understands that was a little awkward, and he also understands that David Ortiz's farewell is a very rare thing. So he'll retire with the Red Sox, whether that's at the end of the contract or a year or two earlier remains to be seen. It probably depends mostly on his health. Yeah, I, I was surprised going through. You know, I did that whole list of um, kind of guys who had made who had a, a contract of ninety million or more, and where Sandoval ranks in terms of value of the contract. And obviously, he's towards the bottom. I was surprised how well Pedroia ranked. That he's, you know, this is according to Fangraphs dollars per win, been worth basically a hundred million to the Red Sox since signing that deal. So, so two thousand fourteen uh, until now, uh, and they've paid him just under fifty million for that production. I mean, the whole thing's one hundred and ten million. So he's basically. Uh, been worth the contract already, uh, and and you know you can like the the dollars per win is probably uh, maybe not the best way to look at it necessarily. Uh, it, it does tend to I think there are a couple guys on this this list who 
uh, it's surprising that they've been worth contract. You know, I, I didn't think Troy Tulowitzki was worth his contract, and he's already outperformed his. Uh, so it's a little surprising in that sense. So maybe it's not the best measure, uh, but certainly I think there was a time uh, not that long ago where where you and I were wondering whether that extension would go down as a good deal or a bad deal for the Red Sox. And I think we're reaching the point where it's it's hard to imagine it going down as a bad deal, even uh, with the way with, considering the way that Pedroia has played so far. Yeah, and you're willing to pay a premium for Pedroia too. Like if that was a slightly below water deal, I don't think anyone would complain because of what Pedroia's meant. You know, I put when Ortiz got his number retired, I posted a Twitter poll to see who people thought would be the the next Red Sox to have their number retired. And my three, my four options were Roger Clemens, um, and then number twenty four for either Dwight Evans or Manny Ramirez or both, and then Pedroia, and then the field. And fifty percent um, said Pedroia, which seemed reasonable. Like I don't know if he's necessarily a Hall of Fame player. Um, he's going to be borderline. It depends how his thirties go, but in terms of his contributions to a couple of World Series teams and what he's meant. I mean, he's a, he, he defines he will define this era um, for the Red Sox in a lot of ways. And it certainly seems like, you know, if he plays till he's 36, 37 or retires, that's, that number's going up on the facade either way. Yeah, I guess the next one they retire depends on how attendance is over the next couple of years, if they need a night or not, right? <laughs> Decides if they, yeah, if they give up on Roger Clemens getting elected. I mean, if Clemens gets elected to the Hall of Fame, he's going up there. And yeah, he so. may anyway. We'll kind of see how that goes. I'm out of guys. Do you have any? You have anyone left? No, that's. I think I'm. I think I'm good. Um, yeah. So we'll. I think we'll do one more of these next week, probably after the Fourth of July holiday, and then that may be it. And but yeah, I think that's all I've got for today. Adios.